It's time to accelerate. Hey, friends. This is Andy. Welcome to episode 722 of Accelerate. That is episode number 722 of Accelerate, the sales podcast of record. So I have another excellent episode lined up for you today. My guest today for you is Dennis Brown. Now, Dennis is the founder of the Linked Academy and the host of the Growth Experts podcast, as well as author of the book, The Ultimate Guide to Generating Inbound Leads with LinkedIn. And I think Dennis was saying he generated uh, 3,800 inbound leads last year for his services and products on LinkedIn. So he is truly one of the experts on using LinkedIn as a sales tool. And in today's discussion, we'll be getting into some really practical and valuable strategies that you can put to use in your selling on LinkedIn. Where I start early on by getting into sort of the two problematic approaches Dennis sees salespeople using on LinkedIn, which is first of all, uh, treating it like a speed dating app, which I think we've all personally experienced, as well as failing to create valuable content that attracts the attention of their potential buyers. So we're going to get into why you need to build a network of relationships, not transactions, why you need to share content that's useful and valuable and compelling to people in your network so that they will engage when they find value in it, when they want to look at your profile to learn more and then reach out to you, connect with you and say, hey, perhaps there's an opportunity to do business here. Now, before we get to Dennis, I want to take a quick second to talk about the sales house. It is the sales performance accelerator for B2B sellers. Now, in the typical sales training, you learn a lot of things, you know, process, methodology, but what I see is missing is you don't learn how to win. I mean, in sales, winning an order is not the process, result of your process or the methodology you use. It comes from executing a lot of small things savagely well. So in the sales house, we focus on teaching you the behaviors and the skills that you don't learn in sales training, these essential skills that make the huge difference in your ability to win new deals. So, if you're not up to speed on these skills, then you're going to be at a competitive disadvantage, and the sales house is the resource you need to reach the next level, as well as the level above that. So, come learn how to sell with more confidence, trust, and value. Visit thesaleshouse.com. That is thesaleshouse.com. All right, let's jump into it. Dennis, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. It's good to have you here. So, you're joining us from where today? I live just outside of Buffalo, New York, a little little suburb called Clarence, Clarence, New York. I've been here for, well, lifelong resident here in Western New York. Hmm. So winter is just about to start. <laughs> you got jokes, right? You got jokes. Um, no, believe it or not, it, it did snow. Uh, the joke is we're recording this in April and uh, yeah. we're yeah. talking short it's summers. May, yeah, it's May 2nd and oh, it May, snowed right? a week ago. Yeah. We had light snow. It didn't stick, of course, but I mean, we literally had snow. And my it's so funny because my wife is like a creature of the weather. Her moods are determined by, by, I don't know, by the lunar cycles or by the tides or by snow. So it's one of those deals. She, you know, it's crazy around here. You don't know what you're going to get, but it does have some nice seasons and this is where we live. So gotta, yeah, gotta, yeah. gotta own it. It's funny. I have a lot of friends from Buffalo. <laughs> oh, really? Oh, yeah. But they're all California residents. I mean, it's it would so seem they, like they wait a minute. They they lived in California and they came to Buffalo voluntarily. No, no. Vice oh. versa. They all quote unquote ah, es- escaped. Yeah. I'm gonna say that doesn't happen. That's like that's like the reverse of what happens, right? They were born in Chitawaga or or you know Amherst, and they moved away because they were like, oh, screw this, screw this. No. Yeah, yeah. Well, everybody 
series of friends here in California that's just like, where are you from? Oh, grew up in Buffalo. <laughs> it's like, yeah, there's and a lot after of while, after a while, I just sort of, yeah, I would say, you're from Buffalo, right? <laughs> so. Yeah, a lot of warm places. A lot of people from Buffalo and Vegas, a lot of people from Buffalo and Florida, a lot of people from Buffalo and California and Arizona. So and it's still no, it's no rabid, rabid Bills fans or rabid Sabres fans, whatever. So, yes. uh, yeah. All right. Well, so I had, we're going to talk about LinkedIn and using LinkedIn for sales. But before we do that, is, is I'd written a, a post in the last couple of days about uh, reacting to some sales expert online saying that, you know, what should you do when the buyers aren't being fair to you? <laughs> and mm-hmm. yeah, I didn't react well to that. And, but it's sort of funny is then I looked on your LinkedIn feed and you had this video from Bill Gates or about Bill Gates, you know, sort of 11 lessons he taught his, his uh, daughter, 11 rules you never learn in school. And then one right. of the first one says, life isn't fair. And yeah. <laughs> it seems weird that we have to reinforce that lesson. Yeah, it's like a forgotten, it's a forgotten lesson, right? I mean, I remember as a child, my grandparents and my parents instilling that into me, whether I was unique or not, from an early age. You know, mm-hmm, life isn't fair. In our case, so life isn't easy or fair. Right. <laughs> but right. But make the best of it. That's right. Sometimes you're the bug, sometimes you're the windshield, right? Well, we all go through those phases. I've I've been both, right? Yeah, me too. <laughs> well, the other thing that I thought was interesting too in the 11 rules from Bill Gates is you had had your favorites and I, I liked those as well. But um, yeah, the one that, that I like is uh, your school has your school may have done away with winners and losers. Life hasn't. And things really sort of striking for me. And, and we're in some same similar groups on LinkedIn and you know, we see a lot of the same content and know a lot of the same people. But it really struck me in the last year or two that there's a lot less talk about winning these days, right? We talk about sales and we talk about the process and we're talking about closing and, you know, we're going to do these steps, but people don't talk about winning. (laughs) It's almost like, okay, what's going on here? I mean, you can't get orders unless you win, right? Yeah. Yeah, you know, I mean, if I take this back, I have two young daughters, right? One's 10, one's 13. And if I bring this back to, you know, kind of the real world, out, even outside of business, you know, it's one of those things where participation trophies have become the, the big fad, particularly over the last 10 or 15 years, right? Oh, and longer. And so, I'm sorry? Longer, yeah, but... Yeah, longer. I mean, but for me, it's that's where I've noticed it, right? Mm-hmm. Because of my kids and... And, you know, and it's one of those things where I guess it probably it could transcend into their later life. And that's one of the fears. And so, you know, in business, obviously, you know, when you're in a sales situation, you know, no one likes to think of a winner and a loser. But the fact is, is there is I Mm -hmm. mean, your competition either beats you for one reason or another, or you beat them because you got the order, right? You got the deal. You got the opportunity to, you know, to do business with that client for however long you can provide enough value to, to, um, to keep them. Right. But there is a winner and a loser in every sale and every order, right. And every deal. So, you know, I, I don't know why people would shy away from it. Um, but I think it probably has something to do with that whole context that we started with, you know, of nobody wants to, nobody wants to face the facts that the world is, is not always easy or fair. Yeah. I mean, I've, I, 
I'm sure as you have as well, we've gone through, I've gone through business for decades and yeah, I could write chapter and verse about instances where the buyer wasn't quote unquote fair to me, but I didn't expect fairness, right? I expected that I had to earn the fairness as opposed right. to being bequeathed fairness. And I think this is, this is something that I don't know, maybe people are becoming so reliant on thinking sort of the, through the technology and how technology can take the place of humans and the selling processes that they don't think about it necessarily in as stark of terms as they need to. And yeah, sales is fundamentally a zero-sum game. Yeah. You know, one thing that I think that there were people focus in around this where they're asking for fairness is in regards to price, right? And I think a lot of the conversations that I've heard at least mm-hmm. – in regards to fairness, go to price. And here's always been my philosophy. And this is how, and right, wrong, or indifferent, this is how I've approached sales. Because I've been in businesses that are very much commoditized and price is a, is a topic that's always talked about. And I've been in other businesses where it was very unique. And you know, price wasn't an early conversation because it was such a unique value proposition. And I can tell you that, that in my personal opinion and just from my personal experience, um, the what what I've adopted is trying to introduce uh, the fact that I'm not ever the cheapest, and and some of the times I'm even more expensive than than the rest of the people. Mm-hmm. But here's why. And so I try to introduce that very early because what I want to do is I want to I want to I want to get those people out of my pipeline <laughs> as early as I can. Right. Because they come back to me and they say, well, you know, we're really looking for, you know, the, the cheapest. Well, I'm definitely not your guy. And I, I, I have that conversation stage, early. Yeah. You want to, I wanna... have that conversation early. I exit stage left as quickly as I can mm-hmm. in that process. Because I know that if they're, if we're talking about it in the first two or three conversations, I know it's only going to get worse on the back end and we're going to have 20 conversations about it later. And I'm just not going to be that guy. I it just, it's never been part of me. Well, I have to say, I, I lied. When I was a younger, earlier salesperson, entrepreneur, sure. you know, I would do whatever I had to do to, to get the deal, even if I didn't make money, which was stupid. But I flipped the switch and realized that, you know, I found enough confidence in the value that I could provide that I said, listen, I'm not going to be the cheapest guy. If that's the number one ingredient that you're looking for in this, in this relationship, then I'm probably not your guy. And if they kept talking to me at that point, I realized that they were looking for value and price, right? So I was okay with that. Yeah, I, I wrote a, an article a number of years ago, and actually I'm going to bring it back to life here uh, shortly. It's on my list of things to to revise. But and the <laughs> title was list. well, t- yeah, <laughs> and the title was, and I sincerely believe this is is you can't get a price objection from a qualified prospect. That speaks to your point exactly. If you've right. really qualified them early and disqualified the ones where the price is the issue, right? you can't have a price objection from a qualified prospect. By definition, they're not qualified if they're objecting to your price. Yeah, good point. And, and I, I, that's well said. That's a much more concise way of saying it than my long <laughs> rant. <laughs> I'm older. I've had more time to think about it. So Yeah, so thank you for that. But that does make total sense. Yeah, I mean, if you think about that, that in that context is, you know, you have to qualify and price early in the deal, to your point. Because if there's a big disconnect, if you're premium priced, if you're selling high value, and they just aren't going to go for it, you want to surface that early because you don't want to invest your time in them. They're just not going to buy from you, and that's okay. Yeah, I wrote about this this week in, in a post. Is 
you know, my, my rule, which is it's, it's a big world. And there's always willing prospects out there. So rather than waste your time on those who are not a good prospect, go out and find one that is. Yeah, hundred percent. I had a the, one of my last businesses that I started back in two thousand three, grew and then later sold in two thousand sixteen. We were in the logistics transportation mm-hmm. space, and if you know anything about that space, no. When you rate freight, okay, when you create a freight rate, it goes on a per mile basis, and you can win and lose deals on cents per mile. Mm-hmm. Sure. Okay, it's crazy. Like it's a very nickel and dime business. It's a high volume, low margin business. And, you know, and, and so a lot of people play that game. You know, some of the bigger companies play the Walmart version where they're doing it all on volume. Uh, and I hear a lot of people in the industry have come to me and said, well, listen, you know, I can't be cheaper than XYZ. I said, well, don't be that. Mm-hmm. You need to find the prospects that aren't focused on you being the cheapest. And then you need to connect with them, but it, it's harder. It's definitely harder. It takes a little bit more time. Um, or you have to take a different approach. But ultimately, you know, I, I that's where I really honed the skill of pre-qualifying my prospects very early in those conversations because they appreciated it as well. I mean, there sure. I had people that thanked me, right? Because they didn't have to go through the process of, you know, several weeks or a month or whatever of this whole due diligence process. And they were they had marching orders from their boss that said, listen, we're looking for this. And if it doesn't meet this, then we can't do it. And mm-hmm. they, they appreciated the fact that I self-selected out and it saved both of us a whole lot of time. Yeah. And I think that's sort of a lost message for many sellers because, and I, again, I wrote about that this morning in my, my daily newsletter is, is you have to be proactive at decluttering, I call it decluttering your pipeline. Yep. And otherwise, yeah. If, if you would just want to, if you have your whole emphasis, and unfortunately we're seeing more of this emphasis in sales, which is on managers sort of evaluating the performance of their salespeople and sales leak, corporate leaders evaluating the performance of their sales managers based on the size of their pipeline, which yeah. is through all experience that I've had is that is antithetical to high productivity because you're just wasting time on, on by necessity, you're wasting time on deals that are never going to cross the finish line. Yeah, you're putting just a bunch of dead wood into the pipeline just just to check the box, and it and it doesn't serve anybody. It doesn't serve the company, doesn't serve the manager that's trying to manage the you know the overall deal flow. It doesn't serve the the salesperson At or all. the client. At so all. it doesn't serve anybody. In in and they're not one stakeholder in that equation is served beneficially. Yeah, <laughs> except maybe you know a CEO or a board member that wants to look at a report and say. Oh, good. We've got a good pipeline. Yeah, but it doesn't translate, <laughs> no, right? it doesn't translate, right. It, it's a false sense of security, right? It's it's the whoopee that doesn't keep you warm, right? I mean, it is it a security it, blanket, yeah. Yeah, it just doesn't do anything for you. So, no, that's a great point. And I do, and, I, and I'm not a sales trainer. Don't get me wrong. That's not my forte. That's not what I do. But I'm not, I'm not I see either. it myself um, with clients that I work with, their sales teams, you know, and I see that emphasis and I see the technology showing that emphasis on pipeline. And I see a lot of drivers that are pushing that, continuing to push that agenda, push that, you know, that, that, that uh, metrics. All right. Well, let's jump in to talk about LinkedIn. Cause that's a good segue there because, cool. <laughs> because you're an expert in that, in terms of developing new business through LinkedIn mm-hmm. is 
Yeah, I believe that one of the reasons we have this emphasis on big pipelines is now we have sort of in this golden age of sales technology. We've got these great tools out there that enable sort of you know mass outreach, uh, quote unquote personalization at scale, which is a little bit of an oxymoron, but uh, nonetheless. <laughs> and and you sort of contrast that with LinkedIn, which is sort of a one by one type methodology, right? One person at a time. Though you can scale it some, but yeah, it's a different approach, and I think part of the reason that we've got this emphasis on big pipelines is because you can generate big pipelines more easily now mm-hmm. than you could in the past. Unfortunately, it's resulting in dramatically lower win rates, but nonetheless. Right. So let's start looking at the sort of the challenges for salespeople in using LinkedIn now to in this environment to develop new leads, new opportunities because we certainly you've certainly experienced. I'm sure I've experienced. You know, a day doesn't go by where Somebody wants to connect with me to pitch me, basically. The com- most common complaint. So yep. how do you how do you successfully operate as a salesperson in that environment to use LinkedIn effectively? Well, I think you pointed out a really good and compelling, you know, observation, which is the problem, there's two big problems that I see with salespeople leveraging LinkedIn to generate, you know, some leads and sales, right? One is they treat it like they're speed dating, right? They think it's Tinder, swipe right, and they're just moving and moving and they're just trying to play the numbers game Mm -hmm. and they're in a hurry and they push too hard, too fast. And, you know, in my opinion, you're going to alienate way too many people and you're going to work way too hard to try to generate just a small number of leads, right? When if they take a little bit longer term approach and they focus on, you know, they, they, first they qualify, they pre-qualify and scrub the people that they are connecting with to make sure that number one, they meet the right, you know, the customer avatar, the perfect prospect mm-hmm. profile, you know, that they're, they're in the right industry, the right, you know, company size, the right title, the right, you know, all, all they checked all those boxes and they're only spending time with the right people. Once they've done that, you know, they have to invest. And, you know, that investment is no different than if you were to meet somebody at a trade show or a conference. Mm-hmm. And you're not going to beat them over the head with your pitch at the trade show or the conference, right? You well, want them to know what you do. <laughs> you you should, but, but but they do. But yes, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, you want them to know what you do. You want to develop some relationship, a, a, a basic rapport and relationship with them. And then you're willing to you know develop that over time. But if you're expecting that to immediately turn into deal flow or be a part of your pipeline. It's just not going to happen. It doesn't work that way. Right. I mean, for a couple of reasons, number one, you know, you just haven't invested enough time to build that trust. Right. Second of all, there's a whole bunch of other people that are trying to do the same thing. It used to be cold calling, right? Everybody would smile and dial and, and now people don't pick up the phone. Right. And now people are trying to translate cold calling into emailing or through LinkedIn. So, you know, I think you just have to slow down the process and treat it, focus more on the relationship than the transaction. And that takes time and people don't like that. That's the reason why lotteries are so successful in every state in the United States, right? You know, that's why you have millions and millions of dollars invested. People have put a dollar and a dream into lotteries because they want immediate gratification. And uh, I'm, I'm sure there's people that over the last 30 or 40 years that if they had saved the money and invested the money they had put into lotteries, they'd probably have close to a million bucks, <laughs> but they, <laughs> well, but they weren't willing so. to do that. So that's number one. And then the second one is, and this is the one that's really come to my attention in the last couple of years in particular is salespeople 
um, whether it be the company or the salesperson, they don't have a lot of good direction um, on creating content. Okay. So you have well, a, lot a lot of companies. Of, a lot of companies don't want their salespeople to create content. That's right. A lot of companies don't want their salespeople to create content. They want them, you know, there was a very strict protocol. And on LinkedIn, as you know, one of the, there's, there's basically three ways to generate leads and clients through LinkedIn. You got paid ads, which is obviously a whole different animal, mm-hmm. right? That's a, that's not a salesperson driven, you know, focus. You got outreach, which is what we're talking about, where they do outreach to targeted, you know, process, you know, profiles and people that are on LinkedIn. And then you got inbound and the inbound, that's where the content comes in, right? You know that, I mean, mm-hmm. you create a lot of content, a lot of great content on LinkedIn, people engage with that. And some of them turn into conversations, right? Mm-hmm. Some of them will ask you a question and eventually turn into a conversation. Some of those will be better qualified than others, but ultimately it's a way for you to generate inbound leads. Now, personally in 2018, because of the strategy I've taken for my own business and that I help and teach other people with in their business is I generated over 3,500 inbound leads with LinkedIn. So I'm not trying, I'm, I'm not saying that to impress you. I'm just saying it to let you know that it works, right? I am I'm no different just, than any salesperson. Just so you know, I am impressed. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I generated that many inbound leads. Those are people that raise their hand and say, Hey Dennis, can you help me with this? Right. And so a lot of them were not, heavily qualified. So you got to have a filter. But I think if salespeople were able to have an easy way or a framework to create content, and I don't want them to spend 20 hours a week creating content, but I don't think you need to. There's some easy ways that you can create content without actually, you know, doing a whole lot of work, like curating content, right? Mm -hmm. You know, you can use other people's content, images, um, videos, um, I mean, you gave a perfect example, right? That Bill Gates, that Bill Gates video, that lesson, the eleven lessons that you learn, um, never learn in school. I didn't create that video. I didn't create that video. Yeah, I know. I leveraged the video that they created, and it ended up getting thousands of views, mm-hmm. and it ended up getting hundreds of engagements. Now, that's not a perfect example because that's not content that's heavily oriented towards a specific, you know, towards my specific towards market. Do, but right? if that was a video about X. Then it could it it could have uh, had the same the same impact. Do you get my point? Oh yeah, no, I'm, I'm and I'm sure people listening did as well because I think that just to clarify is is that that first step you talked about in terms of connecting and finding the right people and so on is I think the the mindset that sellers don't have is they have to change away from the transactional to and I love what uh, you ever read Keith Ferrazzi uh, any of his books I haven't. You should. You'd love it. Um, and he's never eat lunch alone and, and books like oh, that. Oh, okay. But, yeah, yeah. Okay. So I didn't recognize the name, but never eat lunch alone. Yep. So he talks about the fact that you, as in your career, your network has value, right? It's it's an asset that you need to develop. Absolutely. And so rather than looking at these connections that you make with people as something that's transactional, that I'm going to connect and thus it has to learn turn into some action, it's... <laughs> Well, first, I'm building this network that I don't know how I'm going to monetize it eventually, but I'm creating these relationships and these contacts with people that, in some, has value. So my next step Absolutely. is how do I, how do I then begin to use that in a way to extract some of the value from that? And that is, well, yeah, to your point, is I'm going to start sharing content and it's something that's useful and valuable. To it could be curation, it could be creating something 
to those people in my network that, you know, it's gifts, I'm sure going to teach them this idea that if I share something or I, I create something, it's going to be, they're going to say, yeah, it's worth my time to engage with that because, you know, that's valuable, right? That has some, some value to me in my day-to-day world. And this is the mindset for me that, that sellers need to get into on LinkedIn is to take responsibility in sort of two ways. One is long-term vision on the network. And secondly is, and this is the controversial one, is they have to have a point of view. Mm-hmm. And the point of view is what's represented in the content you share or comment on or create or the conversations you get into online that when you do contact somebody and they say, well, because I do, I get contacted by a salesperson. First thing I do is look at the LinkedIn profile. Right. 100% of the time. And I want to know who they are and what they care about. And that can be yeah. the difference between you connecting with someone in a way to get business if you have, like I said, a point of view is how I summarize it, as opposed to the person who's got you know, a crappy little picture and no point of view. Yeah, for sure. To go back to the beginning where you talked about, I think it was Harvey McKay that coined the phrase, dig your well before you're thirsty. Mm -hmm. I think you wrote that book and that, you know, investing, you know, in that before you need it. And the problem is that everybody wants it today, right? They want to sign up on LinkedIn. They want to put a basic profile together and they want everybody to just start reaching out to them and thinking they're going to get deals and it doesn't work that way. Or they're going to just start spamming a whole bunch of people and think that that's going to convert into, into deal flow. And it doesn't. Well, and and, all know that. Right. But as a seller, you have to look at LinkedIn as a career asset, not a job asset. That's right. And so the network you're building is an asset for the duration of your career, unless LinkedIn goes away, um, which I guess is always possible. But, but assuming it's here for the next several decades, this network you build has value. And so it's not, geez, I need an ROI on the time I spend on LinkedIn today. It's no, it's what's the ROI I get over the time and effort I invest into it over the length of my career. And yeah, that's, but that's the tough. long view, right? That's the hard part, right? That's, that's the way that's where everybody it, struggles is to play the long game. And, and, and the fact is, is even if LinkedIn did go away, the relationships that you converted from digital into the real world don't go away, right? Those people who end up in your Rolodex, who you end up having a meeting with or have a phone call with, I mean, you and I met through LinkedIn, mm-hmm. right? That was how we first engaged with one another. Mm-hmm. And now we have an offline relationship. So if LinkedIn went away, we still could do business together, have conversations, provide value, collaborate, whatever we do. You were on my podcast, the Growth Mm -hmm. Expert Podcast. I appreciate that. And then, you know, part of this was you thought that I might be a good fit for your audience. And now we're here. So, but that all started from LinkedIn. But that's because you and I both took a long view to the process. And now we have a relationship where if I called you or you called me within 24 hours, you know, we'd get a return phone call. Well, I think this is this is a, an issue because I've had other LinkedIn experts on on the show and and talk about what sales how salespeople should use LinkedIn, and again, it's all transactional. And I know that plays to the you know sort of the immediate appeal to salespeople is you know, if I want to invest time in this, I want to get something out of it right away. And I'm just telling people who are listening to it is is you have to change your mindset about LinkedIn because yeah. this LinkedIn is it's a long term play. Uh, you may get some short term business out of it. But I tell you, I mean, the people that, and I've had this <laughs> several times over the last couple of months, I've sort of reached a breaking point uh, sometimes <laughs> with people who I think should know better, who reach out to me and, <laughs> and like, there's a guy who, who reached out to me and said, uh, 
Have you ever thought of starting a podcast? (laughs) And we work with this person, this person, this person, and I looked at your profile, and you'd be a great candidate to have a podcast. And so I wrote back to him, and I said, well, here's the deal. (laughs) Did you really look at my profile? (laughs) Because, you know, I've got perhaps the top-rated sales podcast was over 700 episodes. Um, You know, you spent a minute, you would have found that out. And I said, yeah, it's so funny because that I, I, I had a mirror situation to that in the last two weeks where a LinkedIn expert reached out to me and said, Hey, listen, um, you know, I think you'd be a good candidate for our LinkedIn marketing services, right? Something to that effect. Mm -hmm. And I literally chuckled. Normally I would light that person on fire, right? I would, I would light them up because my, sometimes my, my, uh, my uh, tolerance is low, right? Yeah, Sometimes I, mean, I have zero tolerance. Usually I ignore, but occasionally, yes, I, I feel compelled to respond. This time I replied back to him and I said, are you serious? And question mark, question mark. And he replied back and he goes, oh my God, I'm so sorry, right? So, you know, I let it go and, you know, he he was apologetic and whatever. But that's the that's the challenge with automation on LinkedIn, right? There are these, there are these SaaS companies and, and Google Chrome applications that people are putting together to try to automate this whole process on LinkedIn. And while that seems fantastic, right? It seems like it would make things a lot easier. There's two big problems with it. Number one, LinkedIn doesn't want it. It's a definite violation of their terms of service and they get pissed every single time they find one of those companies and they're going to try to shut them down. Mm -hmm. Now, sometimes they're successful. Sometimes they're not. They've been successful multiple times. And so if you want to jeopardize your account, that automation piece, you have to be very, very, very careful. Now, I'm going to be dead honest and tell you that a couple of years ago, I tried some of those things. Mm-hmm. I did try them because I wanted to see what they were all about. I mean, I can't, I can't, you know, I can't cast, you know, scorn on something that I didn't actually try. So I tried it for a very short period of time and I realized it was like a drug, right? It was like, oh my gosh, I can get all these messages out. But I realized the backlash from the users that were that were upset about, you know, getting beat over the head with automation and then LinkedIn themselves, I realized that it was just it, it wasn't the way to go. Right. So I I knew that it wasn't. I reinforced it and I put it to the side because I would never put my clients in that situation. So I think some of the people that are transactional are really focused on that automation piece, just like in any marketing automation but there's a good and bad way to automate. And, you know, me personally, um, you know, that's not my approach. That's not my style. That's not, I would never put my clients in jeopardy. I would never put my own account in jeopardy because ultimately you don't own your LinkedIn account. You know, no. LinkedIn <laughs> take it away at any time you, they want. Right. Well, it, it is one of the sort of the ironies, if you will, is that salespeople complain about the you know negative stereotypes about salespeople. And yet we're continually leaping a sort of a class of people leaping to use these tools that just continue to reinforce <laughs> that bad image, right? Because of the way we message right. people and connect with them. Yep. And and I'm sort of like you. As I reach my limit at some point, I try to – actually, I, <laughs> I respond to one guy. And I sort of start. I said, you know, he was sort of a well-known guy. Clearly had outsourced this to somebody. But mm. same thing as they you know, talk about, you know, Andy as a new business consultant <laughs> and blah, blah, yeah. blah, blah, blah. It's like, okay. Yeah, you know, I've been in business well, as a consultant for 20 years, you know, yep. two best-selling books, the podcast, blah, 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 blah. and so I wrote back to him. I said, you know, I don't want to come across as sort of a dick, but I mean, 
And I love how I use those words. I said, yeah. But, you know, just spend even a minute doing this. And I said, I understand maybe you outsource this. So, you know, did you do any quality control? I mean, this is it's a person that writes about the negative image of salespeople. And I said, look what you're doing. Yep. For sure. No, totally agree. And, you know, it's, it's definitely a pet peeve of mine and I've grown a little bit more tolerant to it, but me, I immediately disconnect from those people and, you know, and I just set it aside. And obviously I, I have my own strategies and tactics that have worked for years and have worked for my clients. And, and this seems to be that they're very similar to your type of approach. So, you know, I think um, everybody has their styles. It is what it is, but I think that you're going to do way more damage taking that shotgun approach than you will with taking a slower, more targeted approach. Okay. So we're sort of winding down time-wise. So time's gone very quickly. This is, question is, so what do you see as sort of the two big changes that are coming to LinkedIn, let's say, over the next year? And what what are the impact for sellers? Or what are the things that have just recently been introduced that sellers should be embracing that they're not? So there's a couple of things, you know, there, there's a whole bunch of things I could talk about. There's two things I want to talk about that are really top of mind for me. One is um, LinkedIn is launching, They a couple of years ago, they launched LinkedIn native video where you could upload video. Prior to that, you could only, you know, use YouTube or Vimeo or third right. party applications. You could do LinkedIn native video. And it has been wildly popular and very successful at driving uh, people to their feed and engagement within the feed. But recently they launched LinkedIn Live in a beta format. Mm-hmm. And I actually just interviewed uh, Quentin Alums, who's uh, one of the people that was part of that beta. And uh, I'm going to be releasing that soon on Growth Experts. But, um, you know, I think LinkedIn Live could be an extremely powerful, you know, tool for LinkedIn and for salespeople and for anybody who's on LinkedIn, right? So, so sort, sort, sort of the equivalent of sort of the equivalent of Facebook Live. It's very similar to Facebook Live, but it's going to have some differences, right? One thing, for example, and I'll I'll let the kind of the cat out of the bag is that it's not initially, at least, it's not going to be released to every user mm-hmm. even after the beta. Okay, and initially, it's going to be a premium feature, so you're going to have to pay for. Uh, an additional subscription in order to have it. Mm-hmm. Now that may change later. Okay. But, uh, but based on the roadmap that they have right now, based upon some insight from Quentin and some other sources is it's going to be kind of a pay to play application, which has pros and cons, right? The pros are, it's going to kind of scrub the quality, hopefully a little bit, and you won't get a lot of those, uh, Hey, this is just a test to do LinkedIn live messages in the feed. Right. And hopefully it'll enhance the content. Um, and hopefully it will increase the amount of good content that's out there, right? Mm-hmm. So, so LinkedIn Live, I think, is it could be a very powerful feature. I don't have the beta that, you know, I wish I did, but it is what it is. I'm hoping I'm going to be able to be an early adopter of it. And I'm going to do a lot of testing because I can tell you, um, I resisted Facebook Live for a while because mm-hmm. live video is, is really interesting, right? It's, yeah, it has its, its own whole it's, set of challenges, live, right? Yes. <laughs> yeah, we're recording this. You can edit it. You know, there's some things you can do, but live is, has a whole different set of challenges. But I can tell you that live video on, on Facebook in the right context has been really power, can be really powerful. So I think it could be, uh, I think it could be huge for sales and marketing in general on LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. Now the jury's still out, but I think there's strong potential. The second thing, unless you want to comment on that, because there's two things I no, want to I, share. I agree. I, th- I think that 
in the right hands. It'll be a great tool. Yeah. Yes. And that's one of the reasons why I kind of liked the fact that they're going to charge a premium for it. Mm-hmm. I, because I think it's going to help qualify that a little bit. Some people might not like that, you know, Hey, I shouldn't have to pay to have this feature. Well, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I, in some ways I kind of like that. I don't mind paying because I know how I would leverage it. Right. Um, and I know it's not going to just be some random off the cuff garbage. Right. Content, and and right? I have to admit, I don't, I don't hear nearly as much about Facebook live and I don't see nearly as many people using it as, as I thought I was going to see, or even as I saw initially mm-hmm. when it first came out. So yeah, I think the same thing will be true here. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, because people are, people are apprehensive to get on live video. Trust mm-hmm. me. It's a scary, it's a scary proposition for the average person. I know mm-hmm. it was for me the first time. You just got to let go of those inhibitions. And that's a whole nother, that's a whole nother, um, you know, conversation. But the second part that I think is going to really come to the forefront and it, and has already started to come to the forefront is rather than a focus on virality and reach, right? Which is what the conversations, mm-hmm. a lot of the conversations are around right now. You hear people mad because they're getting less views and they're getting less uh, engagement. Right. Right. And, and that's true of social media in general, right? That's not just LinkedIn, right? That's social media in general. What the conversation is going to gear towards is it's going to gear towards engagement, right? And what, but what I mean by engagement is engagement with your engagers. So for example, inside of the post itself, rather than you just putting content out there and then letting people comment on it where it's like a TV show, mm-hmm. right? It's one way. And then, you know, they get to reply back, but you never reply to them. I think a lot of the, a lot of the power of that relationship building and that building rapport is when you as a salesperson or a marketer actually engages within the post themselves. Now, the hard part about this, and I know the challenge. So, so give, give, an, give an example, more concrete. Well, let me give you an example. So yeah. if I were to post a video about, um, you know, how to generate leads with LinkedIn, just a right. hypothetical, right? right? How to generate three ways to generate leads with LinkedIn. And that's something that is highly targeted to my target market. It's mm-hmm. going to be attracting the people that are really mm-hmm. interested in that. And they start engaging within the content and they start asking questions or they start commenting or they just, you know, they make an observation and they, they put a comment in there. What happens is a lot of times those comments go unanswered. I, I'd say the heavy majority of time content, you know, comments go unanswered. Mm-hmm. And so what you as the salesperson or the marketer can do or needs to do is to really try to um, engage with those people, at least the people that are part of your target market mm-hmm. and the ones that have some sort of meaningful content, right? If they just say, cool, well then, you know, it may not require you to engage with them, but ultimately that, that concept of engagement within the social media format not just one way, but two ways. So you as the, as the creator needs to engage back. How many times have you replied, you know, replied to a blog post in the comments and never heard anything back? Sure. How did that make you feel? <laughs> it didn't do anything for me, but that's okay. Yeah. But yeah, I understand but what you're saying. The average person, if yeah. they asked a question in the comments of a blog post and nobody ever replied, no, it's like that, not, kind of makes me, that kind of makes me feel shitty, right? Because it well, says you you what you put this out here, you you compelled me even by putting the comments there to ask you a question or provide feedback, and you never even took the time to reply back to me. So to me, our like, relationship got worse, not better. Well, right? It's, because it's like not following up on a sales lead. That's right. It's like not following up on a sales lead. Yeah. I I submitted a request to get pricing and information on XYZ product, and it took three months to get back to me. Yeah. I'm not going to wait for you. And so I think social, I think LinkedIn and other social media, I think a big focus should be, and is starting to be more engagement, a focus on 
quality engagement within those conversations versus just the overall reach and virality of those posts, right? Yeah, and I would use the, I would use based on what you're saying, I would I would use the term interaction. Yeah, like, interaction. True. That's a really good. That's a good point. Because they're, they're so, going mean, to put a premium on interaction. Interaction and engagement within the actual content themselves. Yeah. So who cares if you know if you get ten thousand views to your post, but you don't generate any relationships that convert offline with your prospects mm-hmm. or with your target market? I'd rather get five hundred views and two two opportunities, right? Where I can convert those conversations offline, or at least get some sort of a dialogue, or maybe make a new connection. I don't care about views. I really don't care about views. I could care less about virality and views. The conversations these days are all around that. And I think I think the the secret is to have interaction within that content. And that's mm-hmm. what will drive that no like and trust and, and create opportunity. More opportunities than any virality is going to create for you. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree 100% on that. So I think those are the two big things I would point to, the LinkedIn Live and then a focus on interaction within the content to try to drive that relationship and move it forward. Right. Which really speaks to what we were talking about initially in the conversation, which is the responsibility of individual sellers, individual contributors to have a content strategy, even if it's just curating, right? Because you're not going to get any engagement unless you're sharing something. And so sharing interaction, if you're using LinkedIn has to become a critical part of it. Again, otherwise you're just spamming people. And, and as I say, you're not selling, you're playing the odds and, that's not yeah, hope far. is not a winning strategy, right? In any game, particularly in sales and marketing. So if you think just throwing, you know, a bunch of random connections out and messages and even random content, you know, you'll, you will be reinforced by getting an occasional lead or client here and there, but you'll never have a predictable and sustainable source of, of, uh, of, of leads or contacts or connections or sales. You right. Which won't. gets back to the first point, which is look the long take the long term view of the network you're building and the value it has for you again over the duration of your career and you'll continue to build on that but you have to be providing value to that network that's it's if you just have connections and you're not helping them in any way there's not much value no one perceives yeah. you as being a value yeah 100% and there's one more point i want to make and this is i get i got this question just the other day and so i think it's relevant they're like well listen um what type of content should I be creating, right? What type of content should I be creating? And I say, my theory is, even though I do LinkedIn consulting and coaching and training, the majority of my content, and you can attest to this, 80% of my content doesn't directly talk about LinkedIn Uh lead generation or social selling, right? But a lot of that content is, excuse me, is relevant to my target market. So if my target market is consultants and B2B entrepreneurs, right? So mm-hmm. I, there's a lot of different things that those people are interested in. So I'm using that to attract the audience and to develop some relationship with them, but it doesn't always have to be around nope. my product or service. Yep, I agree. Okay, and people think that that's the case. They think that they constantly have to be talking about, I mean, listen, if all I posted on was LinkedIn, 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 LinkedIn every single day, you would get burned out in, in hearing from me. I mean, it just, it happens. You get that, mm-hmm. that, that um, you know, it's almost like you're like, oh my God, not again, right? But if I vary my content in the type of content, the style of content, whether that be images, videos, text-based or otherwise, and I create some variation, but I focus on topics that are interested to my target market, um, I would tell you that that's my approach is to try to vary the content in the topic and in the style. And for me, it works well. 
Yeah, and I would just add to that is because this is all, it could trigger a longer conversation, but one that I've had with multiple people and I write about is to do what Dennis is talking about is you have to be interested in something other than just sales or what you're doing, right? Is is right. what else, what else are you interested in? You know, what right. else what else do you want to learn about? What else have you learned about that you might maybe want to share with people? Is is you know the broader you are, the more attractive you're going to be to people. Potentially, they'll become your customers. And you have a favorite quote or saying. It comes from British philosopher Thomas Huxley. People who listen to me show my show are probably tired of hearing it, but his philosophy. And I've I found this early in my career, and I've lived my my career by it. Is that you know in life you should try to learn something about everything and everything about something and. It's the something about everything that makes you interested. Yeah, absolutely. No question. I mean, the people that win on Jeopardy and just to pay make a, you know, I was watching Jeopardy James. the other night. James. Is, are the people that are the most well-read, right? And the people that have the widest and broadest experience, right? It's not the people that are super narrow. You know, they're not, a, you know, there's advantages to being niche, right? But when you're talking about creating content and conversations and relationships, the the broader you are and the deeper you are in those channels, the better off you'll be. I remember you told, you shared that with me in our first conversation. I think mm-hmm. you shared that with me in our podcast. Yeah. So very important. All right, Dennis, yeah. we've run out of time. Totally agree. Fantastic conversation. So tell people where they can get hold of you. Yeah, great. Well, listen, appreciate it. Um, if you guys are, I put together kind of a little gift for you guys. If you're interested in getting, learning how to generate le- inbound leads with LinkedIn, kind of like some of the strategy I talked about, I put together a guide. It's called the ultimate guide to generating inbound leads with LinkedIn. Catchy phrase, right? So you can get that for free at askdennisbrown.com forward slash guide. That's just askdennisbrown.com forward slash guide. Feel free to connect with me on any of the social channels, particularly LinkedIn at Ask Dennis Brown. And uh, if I can help you guys in any way, just reach out and let me know you heard from me and Paul's show. And uh, I appreciate you having me, Paul. All right. Dennis, thank you very much. All right, Andy, thank you. And Andy, I'm sorry. I'm thinking, Paul, my friend, my one of my good friends. Thank you, Andy. I really appreciate it. Either one works. Yeah, I've gone through my whole life with two first names. And I respond to both. So. <laughs> I appreciate it, Andy. Thank you so much. All right, everyone, thank you for joining us and we'll look forward to seeing you next time. Dennis, thanks a lot. Awesome. Okay, friends, that was Accelerate for this week. First of all, as always, I want to thank you for joining me and I want to thank my guest, Dennis Brown. Join me again next week as my guest will be Doug Winter. Doug is the founder and CEO of Seismic, based right here in my favorite city, America's finest city, San Diego. And we're going to be talking about the impact of sales enablement on sellers and buyers. And as always, we're going to get a little bit off track and have a deep conversation about how to really elevate sales productivity. So you'll definitely want to check that out and be sure to join us then. So before you go, don't forget to visit us at thesaleshouse.com, the sales performance accelerator for B2B sellers, just like you. That is thesaleshouse.com. And thanks again for joining me. So until next week, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone.